places people in the body of Christ. He says he gives some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, teachers, evangelists to equip the body, the work of the ministry, until we come into the fullness of all that God's doing. And when I look around this room, I see God has blessed and gifted us with so many amazing, gifted, talented people. And uh, we need to draw from all that God has placed in the body, because that's how we get fully nourished and equipped to go forth to do the work of the ministry. Ogo is an amazing business leader. She's a woman of God. She lives right next door to me. Uh, just, just, just amazing. Her and Jamal are just such a blessing to this community, and uh, just want to encourage you. You know, prepare your hearts, and, and let's just give honor to Ogo. Father, just thank you for this woman of God. I ask you to anoint her, even as she she brings forth the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. How are we? Amen. Isn't it amazing to be part of the family of God? It's amazing. So it's great to be here. You know, I remember Tammy at the end of last year. She goes to she actually before the end of last year. She goes. Do you, do you have a word for the church? You know, Tammy, right? I'm like, no. Because you're like, do, do you have a word? No. Like, and then um, I finally thought it was time to um, step out. So thank God for a ministry and a church that really believes in you. And I was raised a believer. I was raised, I gave my life to the Lord at a relatively young age. So taught from the Word of God. My grandmother could read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation without reading and memorize the Bible by heart. Yeah. And so when she lost her sight due to glaucoma, she would read the only thing that she would do 24-7 was just quote the Bible, verse to verse, word to word. So that was kind of what we were raised in, and she would dissect it and you'd be like, oh. <laughs> and, um moved to New York and I guess been in the church for a while but J-Hope is special and when you're part of a family and when you know the heart of Lord you recognize the presence of God and you recognize people that steward the presence well and I'm just so honored to be part of this family to have Sal, Jules, Tammy and Bill just honor God and have a heart to raise people up it takes special people to want to raise people up. Not a lot of people have that heart, and that's the heart of God. So let's give them a round of applause. And so just to give you a little bit of background about myself, so raised Nigerian. I like to claim that. Jamal goes, you're American. I'm Nigerian. I've lived in Nigeria for like seven years, but I'm still Nigerian. But I was raised in England, raised in the UK, and I'm... Um, through a prophetic word um, and the way things kind of aligned, I felt called to America and I was told, you are called to North America. <laughs> I said, no, I'll be there. <laughs> and so, um, you know, from the day that word was given and my family's all in the UK, I moved on my own within a year from when that word was given to the United States. My nine suitcases full of shoes and handbags. Yeah. <laughs> and so I showed up single, ready to mingle, and to see my future in New York. And so I left everything behind, and you know, the Lord has blessed me by the grace of God with just business. And so I've done well in the UK, and I've done well in many ways, especially in the way the world sees doing well. And so people go, why would you leave all that to come here? You want to go start again in New York? But I thought I was called to come here. And so I came here in the first few months were fun. You know, you get here and it's the Times Square. I lived in Times Square. Where else do you want to live? Right. Right there, right, as a tourist. And so for a few months, just living the life, right? Um, and, 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 and working, and when I came, I came as a, a country head of the company that I was working with, so the kids established the American arm. So it was a big task, but it wasn't, I didn't know how hard it would be. And then you come under the influence of New York too, right? That mentality of go for it. Your dreams and your goals and strife comes with that. 
that mm -hmm. earning mentality. And so, moved in 2010, working, performing, results were coming to, picking up awards, but I was drained. And within about a year of being here, in April 2011, I got sick, I got very sick. I noticed that um, the right side of my face was just almost like I had toothache. It was, it was a weird sensation. I kept working, I was working 16 hour days back to back, 9 a.m. to midnight, 9 a.m. And that's what, that, what, that's what we had to do. You want to make a billion dollars, you do what you got to do. That was the mindset that I came from. Still loved the Lord, obviously, involved in church. I would try out different churches, Creflo Dollar Ministries. I would watch the TV, which is I watched. Uh, I've been marked off. Gotta go hang out with world changers. And then, you know, we did the um, Hillsong. You can't not go to Hillsong. And then eventually I kind of settled in Hillsong and um, got involved there. But then I got sick, and then it got progressively worse. And then um, all of a sudden I realized that I couldn't really move the right side of my face. And then I, it was almost like my skin was peeling completely. I couldn't hear, I couldn't see properly, so I went to the doctors. They said, you have an aggressive form of shingles. Face gone, pain, severe pain. They said, unfortunately, we have no medication for you. So we hope it gets better, hope your immune system's gonna kick in, but there's nothing we can do for you at this point. So you just have to wait. They said, it's probably affected your hearing, because I was struggling to hear in my right ear, and my vision was blurred. It was awful, my face was completely distorted. Kids would look at me and go, Mama, what happened to her? It was bad. When I would eat, the food would droop out of my right mouth, because it would fall out, I couldn't hold, I couldn't chew. So your nervous system breaks down, and so the right side was gone. So. It was traumatic because again, of course, I'm in the marketplace and I'm in marketing and, 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 and branding and sales, but I'm also in fashion. And so all of a sudden, I looked weird. They would call me the elephant man as a joke. Because on the right leg, I looked good. And when I turned, it's like, whoa, what happened to you? And so during that time, that forced me to scale back. How do you know that the Lord knows how to get your attention? So it went from wanting to make a billion dollars to trying to stay alive. <laughs> and they said, this is probably a sign that your immune system's pretty bad. So I had to take time off work. And so all of a sudden, they're having a Rolls Royce or Bentley and an apartment in the Hamptons. And a house in Miami was not that important anymore. Because I couldn't speak very well, I couldn't hear any very well. And now I'm like, what am I going to do? And I lose severe pain because it's your nerves. And during that time of having time of I'm speaking the Lord and the Lord's like, you just gotta come back to me. You gotta come back. And so I would spend time and I would just meditate on the word of God and I can look back and say that was probably one of the most beautiful times of my life because I was just able to spend time with God without the noise and the distraction of my ambition and hear what God was saying to me and how he felt about me. And through that reminder of who I am in God and my identity, healing started to happen in my heart and in my face. When I went back to the doctors, they couldn't believe how rapidly I healed. They looked in my ears and said, I don't understand, but it hasn't affected your eardrums, but it should. So you haven't lost your hearing, which was shocking. And they said, the, your, your recovery is incredible but at the same time i started falling you know i needed more i needed more and so i began a friend of mine actually my broker i didn't have any friends so the girl that got me the apartment in town square happened to come to j-hop on friday nights so i'm like i'm looking for a place i'm looking for a place and she's like her name was cornelia she said there's a really cool place i think you'll really like it's a really little place so don't worry don't worry just ignore what it looks like i know what you're like <laughs> It's really tiny, but God is there. You like it. Jesus is there. I said, okay, go. Jesus is there. I'm going. So Friday night, right? My face kind of was now. It was a month after, so you could still see, you know, severe damage, but it wasn't as bad. But I was still a little distorted. 
And, um, and I had scars, quite a bit of scarring. Even with makeup, I couldn't really hide it because it was almost like someone had kind of used a knife to scar you, right? But I didn't say at that time, the Lord says, I will heal you and I will take away every scar. And so I said, and I would claim that every morning, the Lord will heal me. And there's more to that testimony, but we'll give that to another time. But I come on a Friday night and I could feel, I was like, this is what I'm looking for. I might not have recognized it a year before because my mind wasn't really in the right place. But I recognized that I was drinking from deep water. So I would start coming on just Fridays. I'd sit at the back, take my shoes off, and I just felt I could be myself. No one knew me. No one cared what I had. I could just come and love the Lord and just receive. And I felt the Lord say, it's time to start coming on. You can make this your church. And so I made a decision and I would come on Sundays and just sit. It was in 2013 and we're in Chambers Street. And I was in seven Chambers Street, a really small place. And I would just sit and I would just watch. And I said this to Dylan Tammy yesterday. And I would talk to the Lord as the messages are gone on. And the Lord would say to me, he said, um, this is home for you. He said, just sit and receive. And then he said, pour. And it was Bill was speaking. He said, that's your dad. He said, pour into them. And that's radical for me. Because my parents were amazing. My dad was amazing. But I haven't really trusted many older men. Just through life's experiences. Especially at church, to be honest. You can get the worst at church. Leave that for another day. <laughs> and so I could respect, but in terms of looking up spiritually, let me find dad. That's it. I got my dad, I'm good. And so for the first time, the Lord said, he's worthy. He said, that's your dad. You're going to come under his authority. You're going to serve them. And then he said, at the right time, you will teach and you will pour into everyone. And that was in 2013. And so I just sat on that and I didn't even tell Jamal, but I knew this was where I was supposed to be. And times will come when you kind of think, oh, maybe I should go look elsewhere. The Lord's like, no, no, this is where you're supposed to be. Whatever you think is lacking is what you're supposed to bring to the table. That's not what you go and look for somewhere else. Preach. You bring that and you're the solution to the problem. And so that's how I found the church. During that time, I find my husband. Say no to me. I never thought I would get married. That's another thing to talk about another time. And so that's a testimony in itself. Now I'm married to an amazing husband who supports me 100% with three little kids under four, running two businesses. It's only through Jamal and the grace of God that that is possible. And so I'm not qualified in any way to be here, but by the grace of God, he's qualified me. And so for those people here who don't feel qualified, your time will come and you're qual God qualifies you. Man doesn't qualify you. And so we're coming into a season as a body of maturing. When Tammy said, you have a word, I didn't really have a word at the time, but I knew it was time to step out. I said, yes. And then I asked the Lord, what's the word? And he gave me 3 John 2. We'll read it later. And I didn't really know what it was about, but he gave that word to me. And over the weeks, we began to explore it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But we're in a place as a body where the Lord is raising us up to grow up. Grow up. And rid yourselves of the false, the lies, the ideologies that have integrated our minds. So, so much so for some of us it's become part of our personalities. Whether you've been a Christian for five days or 50 years, it doesn't matter. And that's what he's calling us to, because we're praying for revival, but we have to steward the revival when it comes. We have to have the heart to be able to bring these people and mentor them and coach them and be a great example by the grace of God. And that comes down to a heart issue. It's our hearts. Because you might know the Lord and you might believe in the Lord, but it doesn't mean that you're fully healed in your heart. Yeah. 
And what the Lord has been showing me is that many things that you're struggling with and we're struggling with and we keep going round the mountain with and we're chucked whether it's finances or relationships, often there's an issue here. There's a root issue you're not dealing with. Yeah. And because you're not dealing with the root issue, you just keep going on. Because the Lord is more concerned about your heart and your soul than what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Right. He's more concerned about your heart than you hitting your goal or even than the people you bring to the Lord. Yeah. He's concerned about your heart first. And so the Lord is calling us to stand up and to rid ourselves of mindsets that take us away from him in very subtle ways that we often don't realize. But the thing is, those things are tainting our vision of the Lord and you will receive based on what you perceive. But many tell it's my personality, but I know God. I've been a Christian, it doesn't matter anymore. Open your heart and receive, and you'll be amazed what God will do. It's amazing, because we see, in Romans 8, he says, for creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Yeah. So the world is waiting for you to arise in what you're called to do. The world is waiting for you to stand up. Creation, that's not just the earth, but that's also nature. That's plants, that's animals, because you have an authority and a dominion over this world. And as the kingdom of God, as the church, as the bride, as we begin to understand our identity in God and start to rise up, that's what creation is waiting for. And so what I'll be talking about today is about the prosperous soul. You could also say the prosperous heart. And that's what the Lord wants us to talk about today. How do you have a prosperous soul? Why is that integral? Why is that critical to your quality of life, even in this world? So we're going to read from 3 John 1 to 14. The elder of the church addresses this letter to the... So it's the Amplified Version. 3 John 1.14. Should I just read on? Okay. So 3 John 1.14. The elder of the church addresses this letter to the beloved and esteemed whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health just as I know your soul prospers. I was greatly pleased when some of the brothers came from time to time and testified to your faithfulness, to the truth that is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children are living in truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in what you are providing for the brothers, and especially when they are strangers. Verse 6. And they have testified before the church of your love and friendship. You will do well and send them, you will do well too, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For these missionaries went out for the sake of the name of Christ, accepting nothing in return from the Gentiles. So we ought to support such people so that they may be fellow workers for the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Theotrephus, who loves to put himself first, does not accept what we say, and he refuses to recognize my authority. For this reason, if I come, I will call to attention what he is doing, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and unjustified charges. And not satisfied, satisfied with this, he refuses to receive the missionary brothers himself and also forbids those who want to welcome them, and he puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. The one who practices good exhibiting godly character, moral courage, and personal integrity is of God. The one who practices evil has not seen God. He has no personal experience with him. 
and does not know him at all. Demetrius has received a good testimony and commendation from everyone and from the truth, the standard of God's word itself. And we add our testimony and speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So we'll leave it at that. So to give you the context of this passage, of this, it's one of the shorter chapters in the Bible, and it's one of the few chapters or few books written to a specific person. So it was specifically to Gaius. And so in this book, we hear that Gaius is being commended for what he's doing for the believers. Back in those days, a lot of the missionaries were poor, they didn't have much money. If you remember, Jesus would tell the disciples to kind of leave everything and just go off on their way and just go and by faith they would be provided for. And so they didn't have much. And so they had to rely on the believers to come and to support them and to give. And so in this book, what we see there is we see John commending Gaius. There's belief that Gaius is probably a spiritual son. He's given his life to the Lord. But he's commending him for what he's doing. But we also see two different characters. We see Gaius and we see Diotrephus. Diotrephus means nurtured by Jupiter. So we can, assume, we can gather that he was probably a Gentile convert. So he was a Gentile that came to know the Lord, but he was a believer. He was not just a believer, he was a leader. He had the power to excommunicate. So he was either very influential in the church, or he was the leader of that specific church. But they were both believers. And so we see his rebuke of Diotrephus and warning. But we also see how he teaches John how to navigate that. So in the same home, in the same church family, you have, you have two believers there but two very different outcomes. And that's very interesting. And so that's the context of this. What I want to focus on though is the verse two, which was the verse the Lord had given that now makes sense, but at the time didn't. So verse two says, Beloved, I, beloved, I pray that in every way that you may succeed and prosper and be in good health, just as I know your soul prospers. So we see John here make a contrast at the start of the passage with your soul versus your physical prosperity in your health. So there's a distinction between the prosperity of your soul and that of what you see. He could have said, beloved, I pray that your soul prospers just as your body and your finances. When he says, in all ways, he means finances. In all your business, think of money and all the things that we perceive as well. But well, he doesn't. He says, beloved, I pray that you will prosper, yeah, like your soul. So we see there's a significance of the soul. And the soul plays an integral part to the quality of your life here in this world. And to you fully seeing God for who he really is. And so let's look at the soul. The Greek word for soul means psych. The, Lord, the Bible tells us quite a few things about the soul. One is that the soul is living. It's living. So we see this in Genesis 2-7. I'll be reading quite a few verses because who knows that it's a word of God that is dividing. It divides more than me trying to explain things. And it's medicine to our souls in Proverbs. So as you hear the word of God, you really, it really cleanses you and it removes wrong mindset. So that's why. So Genesis 2-7, we learn that man was created as a living soul. Yeah? So it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and it became a living soul. So it's living. We also know that our soul lives beyond us. It goes on. It moves on. We see this in Genesis 35, 18. And it came to pass as her soul, it's referred to Jacob's wife, Rachel, was departing, for she died. She called her son Ben-Oni, which Jacob then changed to Benjamin. Yeah? So we know that the soul lives beyond us. So it's a more integral part to what you see every day. That's really the center of who you are is your soul. It's not. It's your soul. The second thing we see in the Bible is that the soul consists of the mind, which is your includes your conscience, your will, and your emotion. The soul consists of your mind will and your emotions. So in Proverbs 2.10, it says, Wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. 
Knowledge is a matter of your mind. So this proves that the mind is part of your soul. The way you think is part of your soul. Lamentations 3.20 says, my soul remembers them well. So your soul can remember things. Not just your memory, your soul remembers things. Psalm 103.2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Your soul can bless. Your will is also part of your soul. So your mind, will, emotions. And so we see this in 1 Chronicles 22.19. It says, now set your heart and your soul to seek after Jehovah God. So just as you can set your mind to think, you can set your soul to seek. Your soul has a will. It can decide to do things. In fact, it is the core to your decision making. Psalm 103, it also says, bless, verse 1, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget all his benefits, and it goes on. Emotions, and your emotions comprise of many things, your joy, your grief, your sorrow. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Your soul can be sorrowful. Isaiah 61 10, joy is in the soul, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. So your soul can rejoice. The third thing we learn about the soul in the Bible is your soul and your spirit make up your heart. In the Bible we see a lot of reference to the heart, the state of the heart. And it is your soul and your spirit put together. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Another version says, For from it flows the issues of life. Another version says, Above all else, God, your heart, for everything you do flows from your heart. And so your heart is critical and is the center of your being. And so we see later when David talks about, search me, O Lord, think it's that model three. Check my heart. Only God knows what's in our heart. Thank God for Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so just like the human heart keeps us alive, our heart is sensual. And so before we came to know the Lord, before you gave your heart to Jesus and accepted him, the death of Jesus into your heart. You lived through your soul or your heart. Your life was your heart and through the desires of your flesh. When we say flesh, we mean your sinful nature. Before God, we gravitate to sin naturally. Every single one of us. You're not sure about that? Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So through Adam's disobedience and Eve, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's in Romans. And so we know that we've all come from sin, and so before God, the reality, whether we like it or not, is we naturally are inclined to sin and to our flesh, which is rooted in self. And you see that even in a little child. I've got twins, right? We've got three kids, Ellie's four, Elijah and Lizzie are two. Who teaches them to lie? I have no idea. <laughs> no one has to, and trust me, they can read, they can tell you about Zacchaeus, Ellie can tell you all the Bible stories in the world, but still, Jamal and I just wonder. We put them to sleep. Ellie, she's four. Let's even forget about her. Let's say, oh, she's really smart. What about Lizzie and I? They're two. Put them to sleep. They're obviously playing. We can hear them. We live in an apartment. We go in and they'll jump in the bed and pretend they're sleeping. <laughs> Elijah's like this. <laughs> this is when he was one year old. Like, how 
do you make this thing up? <laughs> but that's because like we are, that's how we're put together. It's funny. But the reason for that though is because that's our natural inclination. And so before God, the flesh gave the suggestions and the soul would execute. Think of it that way. The flesh would tell you, just do this because that's how it feels good right now. Forget the future. It feels good. It's about, let me please how I feel. This is how I feel right now. I want to feel good right now. Who cares about later? Who cares about you? So it's rooted in selfishness and in self. But God. Thank God for Jesus. And the Lord comes in to our hearts. We accept him into our souls or into our hearts. And now, he brings a new nature. So you still have your flesh, but now you have God's nature. Which is more powerful. But God is a gentleman, there's will. You have to choose him daily. Because now you have two natures doing what? Warring, and the Bible says that. Warring with each other. And they are contradictory to each other. They're opposites. God isn't concerned about you being happy. He's concerned about his kingdom coming and you having joy. Joy is different from happiness. And joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. And so now you have two lives lives in a way, warring with each other in your heart. But as you grow in the Lord, I just want to give the verse for that anyway. Though I know you believe me. Romans 6, 4 Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Because as we come into maturity we start to understand that our flesh has been crucified. It is crucified on the cross. So it should not determine our decisions. It doesn't have the ability to have dominion over you anymore. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we see in Romans 6.14, Paul say, sin will not have dominion over you. So your fleshly desires don't have to have dominion over you. And so we see there the battle as believers of our day-to-day, in our day-to-day living, what's going on spiritually. And therefore the need to be able to discern where desires and feelings are coming from. And the need for you to be able to say, no, this is not my new, this is not my identity. This is my old self. My new nature is God. And so therefore, I will do the right thing. And as you do that, you get empowered and you grow in Christ. And we say you become mature in Christ. And so we go back to the key passage for today, which is 3 John. We go back to these two believers. And now we start to understand what's going on. How do you have two believers? And they are shown such different you know, attitudes, or they have totally different fruit. Let's look for a minute. Verse 5 to 8 in the um, third John. We look at Gaius. We see John, who is known as the Beloved, saying, and he mentioned, he called Gaius his Beloved four times. So he really loved Gaius in this passage. And he tells us the fruit of a prosperous soul. And so now we can see what the fruit of a prosperous soul is. So can we just pull up there, John, perfect. So we're going to read from 5 to 8. So the fruit of a prosperous soul. So it says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren, for the strangers. Maybe I should just pull it up here instead. Okay, so it says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers and strangers as they are, 
could testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing, therefore we ought to support this people. So there's a few things we see, and in different versions it's kind of explained in different ways. But there's five key things that I have down here which we see in this passage. The first one is we see him referred to as faithful. So faithfulness is a fruit of a prosperous soul. So what is the definition of faithfulness? When someone says you're faithful in what you do, it says you're steady, you're loyal, constant, constant. Your ability to be constant and steady is a fruit of a prosperous soul. Two, generosity. We see that Gaius was very generous financially. So that's physical generosity. Three, we see emotional generosity. It says that he heard of his love. So he didn't just give them places to stay, but he loved on these people, and they would testify about his love. Because you can give physically, but it doesn't mean that you're emotionally connected. And so he talks about this emotional generosity he poured into these people. He honored God over man. You could see the leader of that church kicking people out of the church. But he didn't care about leadership and status. He cared about the truth. That's a fruit of a prosperous soul. Your priority will be honoring God, not honoring people in front of you, not performing for people. And lastly, we see humility. Humility comes from the Latin word humilis, which literally means low. If you feel humility in front of someone, you feel small in the scheme of things. Humility is esteeming people above you. It's not putting yourself down. It's esteeming people above you. False humility and false pride is, oh, no, I'm nothing. I'm just a little peasant on the street. God doesn't need that because you are something. But it's understanding that people esteeming others above you. There are many other symptoms of having a prosperous soul that aren't necessarily stated in this passage, but things like joy, peace, kindness. Just think of all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They all come from having a prosperous soul. And it's really all rooted in love. The love of God. That's the key thing here. But let's switch to not the best example. Deotrephus. We see here the fruit of an unhealthy soul. He's a believer. Why do we know this? Because in the passage before, in 3 John 2, um, John talks a lot about heretical or false teachers. He speaks about false teachers. So we know that he was probably not a false teacher. Otherwise, he would have spoken about that in this passage. Right? So he was a leader. He didn't make any reference to false teaching. But the root for this was his pride. So what are the things we see here? What are the symptoms of an unhealthy heart? Number one, pride. Diotrephus felt a superiority over other people. So much so that he opposed John, and not just opposed John, he also opposed the people that supported John because they were not on his side. So how do you feel when people disagree with you? How do you react? What happens in you when there's a disagreement or when people aren't on your side? That will tell you a lot about the state of your heart. Everyone doesn't have to be agree, but we're all family. And so a feeling of superiority, which you see here, a love for praise, John said somewhere, but he honors he honors what people say. Let's actually read it. And let's just go to um, because he says it much better than I'll explain it. So let's go to verse 9. So 3 John 9. Yes, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence, perfectly said. He loves to be highly esteemed. He likes status and power and influence. So 
So now he's upset because who's this guy who everyone's raving about? Sending people over here. Do you know who I am? Send them out of here. How dare you? And it's funny, but that's what would have happened. But what's happening here is this adoration for man and this need to feel kind of popped up. Three, we see accusation and negative talk. John says that he was saying negative things. An unhealthy heart has symptoms. You will see the fruit of it. And so out of the heart, the mouth speaks, is what the Bible says. So when you're hearing people gossiping, talking negatively, it's not coming from a good place. Accusation. The devil, his name is actually, it means the accuser of brethren. So he is the father of accusation. So when you feel this need to accuse, it is not of God. Number four, we see an ungodly anger. He's kicking people out of the church. Like, you don't do that happily. Well, get on out of here. <laughs> he was obviously mad. This is like, you will get out of here. There's righteous anger where you can see something being done incorrectly. Maybe a child's being hurt and you get upset. Ungodly anger, though, is rooted in self. That's the difference. It's something, it's still with you. You're angry because you didn't get your way. You might not go as far as kicking people out of the church, but it's still a symptom of something going on. Especially if it happens frequently. Something has to be done. And God will heal you today. And number five, we see control. Spirit of control. If you feel the need to control things, set things in order. And if it doesn't go according to your plan and your agenda and what you thought, there's something going on in your heart that God wants to heal. And so we see two believers in the same place showing different symptoms. There's other roots and there's other things that you see with an unhealthy heart, which I'll just list out. Comparison. Pastor preached about that some weeks ago, just powerful. If you find you're always comparing yourself to other people, loneliness. A sense of being alone, constantly anxiety, easily offended, hoarding, you hoard things, always keeping things in case you you don't have enough. Victim mindset, it's never your fault, it's always someone else's. The world is against you. It's a heart issue, the world is not against you. And a sense that you will be more content if certain things happened in your life. I would, I would feel so much better if my life looked like this. When my life gets here, then I've really arrived. That's a heart issue that God wants to deal with. And so how do you have a prosperous heart? We see the key in verse 3, three of this same passage. Third John, we're coming to the end now. Verse 3, two key things he says about Gaius. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. Two things. He knew the truth. It was in him, and he walked in the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that we've been adopted into the family of God. God is our Father. He sent His Son to die for you. He took away your sins and your transgressions. The thing that you've committed, you're going to commit, that you already committed, you haven't thought of committing, He took it. He got it in the bag. He took it so you don't have to suffer anymore with it. And He nailed it on the cross. And so when you accepted Him, He became your Father. He's a good Father. That is the truth. 
Psalm 23 says that for your goodness and your mercies will run over me all the days of my life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His goodness and mercy runs over you. Other version says his beauty yeah. and his love surpasses and overpasses and overtakes. So that is what the Bible tells us. God is good. He's always good. And he's your father. Now. He gave you an earthly father and mom, and they're humans, and they make mistakes because we're fallen, but thank God that you now know the truth. So you now know the truth irrespective of your upbringing. And we from that know that our flesh is crucified on the cross. So first we know we're adopted by God, and we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. And now we know that our flesh is crucified, so we don't have to be led or ruled by how we feel and our flesh. That's the truth. So how do you walk in truth then? So we know the truth. How do we walk in truth? The Bible tells us a lot of things about walking, a lot of things about walking in truth. But the key, there's a few key things. The renewal of your minds, reading the word of God. Understanding the Bible, reading the Bible, even when you don't understand the Bible, just keep reading the Bible. <laughs> the Lord will give you understanding. Worship allows you walking through. There's something about worship that brings the presence of God, that brings clarity. Some of my best business ideas came when I was in worship. The strategy that comes, that no man can give you, will come when you're in the presence of God. And then especially living in New York, the, the city is so busy and there's so much that competes for our time in the city. Walking in truth is learning to know how to silence everything around you, even on the train, when you're washing the dishes, when you're anywhere at work, and kind of just tune into God. God, what are you saying right now? What do you think I should do? What's on your heart right now? And having this open funnel, this open space, heaven, so God can talk to you all the time, no matter how busy you are. So you're walking constantly in the presence of God. So walking is active. You don't sleep or walk. People do sleepwalk. <laughs> but it's an active thing of daily crucifying your flesh, feeding your spirit with the word of God, with testimonies, with other believers. And that's why the enemy knows when he wants to get you down, one of the first things he'll do is keep you out of church. He'll stop you wanting to worship. He'll stop you wanting to get into the word. And he'll try, oh, don't go this. Oh, you've got things to do. Because he knows the power of all the believers around you. And so he doesn't want you coming to... Because sometimes there are things that other believers... You'll need other believers to come out of it. There's, certain, there's sometimes things that... It's not just a miracle from heaven. It's body ministry. And so the enemy knows. And so he'll strategically... I remember growing up. So raised with Nigerian parents. Hardcore too. <laughs> And so it's funny because we would wake up every morning and night and do devotion. Morning we're reading the Bible like three years old, right? It's so a morning and night, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. reading like it's not like a verse too, like you're reading it, like you're reading verses. You're like, oh Lord have mercy. <laughs> and so that night, come seven o'clock, the same thing. You do testimony time, you do praise of like a church service every morning and night. <laughs> so of course I didn't appreciate it. So you're sat there six years old, like, oh my goodness. And then always, it just seemed like I'd get tired. You start yawning. Now as a kid, it's probably because it's the first time you're sitting still. My mom's like, get up! Get up! Sit down! Say that noise! It's time to wash it! That's it! Literally. And then she would she pour water on your face. Oh, too. Wash it, wash it, I'm Jesus. Every day. 
But it's true. I want to know it's Sunday. I'm going to be up to the very well. Satan knows I'm going. You could be dead. She'll drag you to church. She says, Church will resurrect you. I hear you. I hear you. Doesn't matter because and there's a truth to it. I learned as I grew older. The enemy is very clever. He'll get you tired when it's time to go to. You all asleep. The Sunday you gotta be at church. Those are all stop knowing the tricks of the enemy. All of a sudden you get a sniffle. Oh, it's just a sniffle. I'll just stay home today. It's not. Something else is going on. It's funny because um. In Nigeria, you know, there's a lot in terms of warfare, you see a lot of things going on, and you would see this growing up in a place where when his presence was God was there, you'd see sometimes people start vomiting because they were oppressed and they would run out of church. Because the enemy can't handle the presence of God. He doesn't want you in church. So we were trained from a young age. The day you feel like not going to church is the day you go to church. That's right. Because that means there's deliverance coming for you. And so, to close off, you know, for me, the past few months, it's funny how God will give you a verse, or he gave the verse, I didn't really understand where it was going, and as we spent time together, I would pen it down, and then I realized it correlated to what I was going through. I said, God, you're funny. Because I would not want to share what I'm going through, but now I'm sharing on this verse. It makes sense, right? But I want to share this because many times you think, oh, well, I'm a mature Christian. I've been a Christian for so many years. I can see demons and they're scared of me. Okay. I don't disagree. But God is concerned about your heart being healed. And so the past few months have been tough for us, you know, run two businesses and hire people. Payroll's been tough. It's really hard, right? The business, you know, they're doing okay, but a few things go slow here and there, and I'm sitting down and I'm just crying to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, this was a few months ago. I don't understand. How is it so difficult? I know I'm called to make a lot of money, put money in the kingdom, and to, like, I'm not, forget millions of dollars, I'm talking billions, Lord, let's do this. Forget Rockefeller, right? Oh, God, we got this. Those are prophecies of me. Why are we living like this? Why is it so difficult? But Lord, when before I came to America, it was good. And I just felt like the past five years, it's been struggle after struggle. In the for me, in the place of finances, yes, we have a store, blah, 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 but who knows that your problems are relative to you? So you can't look at someone, oh yeah, but that's all, come and see, I don't even have a home. Look, it's all relative. And I'm just saying, and I'm like, I'm tired of this. I don't, I've done the deliverance thing, I've done breaking generational curses, I've done declaration, I don't, like, well, I've given, I gave so much, my accountant said, Oh, you are not a charity. He actually said, You have to stop because the IRS will come after you. I said, Okay. I said, One of the sudden, that jewels. I just checked with jewels that what he was saying was right. She was like, Yeah, Ogo, you're not your business. You give from your business. I was like, Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he was actually like, This is ridiculous. So I said, God, I do give. Why is it not flowing like it's supposed to flow? Past five years, I'm like, honestly. Tommy said it at the start. The Lord wants you to be still. And in the stillness, broken, he said it's the love of money. I said, what? <laughs> and that didn't hear that word. There's no love of money over here. He said it's a lot of money. So I'm like, oh, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not hearing that right. That's not. And then he starts to remind me that there's something in revelation. 
you walk around the same mountain over and over again, but you haven't had the revelation. And once the revelation comes, it's breakthrough. Most times the issue you're dealing with, that challenge is because there's something in there that you're not getting yet. And then they start to remind you of when I was very young. And that's what we do through this. Since I can remember. And like, you know, we've done, my parents have done okay. But I always feel our life would be better if we lived in a bigger house. I just always felt that. I look at friends with a Bentley. I'm like, we only have like a Peugeot. I wish we had a Bentley. From a very young age, I don't know where it came from. Maybe it's generational. I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. And so I've always had this sense of, ah, that would look so good if I had that. And so we call it ambition, don't we? So you start working really hard. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, do, I'm going to achieve this goal. Achieve that goal. Achieve this. There's nothing wrong in those things, but where's your heart? That's the key. And so the Lord started to show me that when I would look at those people or those things and in my heart feel and say, when I get there, it's going to be okay. You have made that thing of God. That is the love of money. That was a revelation to me. Yeah. I thought the love of money was would be manifested in other ways. I don't want to give but you know you can train yourself to do the right thing. But God doesn't, he's not concerned, the Bible says it, he's concerned about your heart, not what you do. Because I'm like, if I love the Lord, how can I love money? And the Bible does say you can't love love, you can't love God and money. And he said that. He said, so oh God, I can give you all the stuff that you want, but that will do nothing for your heart and your soul. I love your soul more than your achievements. And that got my attention. It's the easy things. I'm crying, but God, I just give me extra, give me wisdom, give me strategy. He's like, no, I want your heart. And so from that revelation, I began to ask the Lord, okay. Show me things in my heart, and you will show me all these different things that was all leading to the same thing. The key is there's a lie that my life would be much better if it looked a certain way. And for all of us, it's different. For some people, it's if I have a husband, or if I was on Broadway, or if my career looked like this, if I had children, or if I got married. Or if I have five houses, contentment. And because I wasn't content, you didn't have a problem with me working hard, but it was where my contentment was coming from. And so that has been the journey that I've been going through with the Lord. And it's funny because since I laid that part of my heart down, He said, Your heart is in your money. How many of you know your heart? You don't want your heart anywhere. Because I care more about your soul. You will keep leaving paycheck to paycheck until you give that to me because I care about your soul. Mm. No, no, if I give you all these things, imagine the mess. You have to come to a certain point to be able to steward what God has given you. Many times we keep walking around because we haven't got to that point yet. And so just ask the Lord what it is He's looking for from you. And once you, He heals you from that by you walking in the truth. You will get that stuff you want. That's so the worship group can come up now. And so, our prayer today is for a spirit of revelation for the Lord to open our hearts to reveal to us things that are stopping us from seeing him for who he is. What are the false gods? What are the things that we're believing in our heart that are lies rooted in our flesh that is stopping us from our destinies? That's the prayer today. And as the Lord reveals those things to us, we repent and then we'll see 
freedom and the fruit of freedom is joy. This happened so much back, about a month or so. And I noticed the immediate difference in how I was living. So this is what I noticed. Before, because I'm so focused, I thought it was my personality, the lie of the enemy. I'm just ambitious. I was so focused on the future. I would miss the present. I was so focused on, let me just make expo more, and I would just put money in giving, of course, but build this, but I, was, I would miss. So I'm always on my phone, texting, emailing, taking calls. I'm missing completely what's around me. And the Lord said, that's a problem for me. I want you to enjoy today. Even in spending time with the kids, I can hang out with them, but I look at Jamal. He can be with them for hours. I could do about 30 minutes. I'm like, I gotta go to work. <laughs> because in my head, it's like, is, is it productive? I need, to, I need to be productive. I gotta be productive. I gotta be productive. Lie. So there are symptoms of those things which are stealing your joy today. And immediately I noticed can actually start looking around more and appreciating the beauty of the world more. People, my kids. And I didn't have that before. Because I was so, I can't say I was discontent, but I was so focused on the next. The Lord wants you to be content today. Today is the day of your salvation. So we're going to stand up and we're just going to pray a prayer. In about a week, two weeks since this happened, we have seen God move in insane ways. As an organization that's international, you'll know that I'm not going to say names. Through just the divine work of God, I was connected to them. The conversations we're having is world changing. I don't believe that would have happened if I didn't do this, if I didn't switch. People the Lord is bringing to our boutique in Brooklyn, strategic influences. Only God. So, in my lack of understanding, I was working hard to be productive, looking for the little pieces. God says, settle down. Give your heart to me and I will take you to the top. The Lord can pay your bills and take you to the top. Like this. But he wants your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It's not about what you do. It's about your heart. So, Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for opening hearts this afternoon. Thank you for the spirit of revelation to unlock hearts and minds, to bring clarity. Thank you for breakthrough from ideologies that have held us back, whether it's through culture or through our upbringing, we say no, we say yes to Jesus. We give you our heart. Father, I ask that you reveal to everyone in this room the thing that you're dealing with in this season with them in their lives. Just silence and just hear the voice of God. What is God saying? What is that thing that you know you're going to lay down? 
that lie. So embedded in your character, even in your personality. What is it? Thank you, Lord, for your revelation. Thank you, Jesus. And we're just going to repent. Father, we repent from wrong thinking, from making these things God, even our prophecies. Our prophecies will not be God. You are God. sit on the throne of our hearts. The whole throne. Not half of the throne. The whole throne. Just want to pray for people in acting. There's one person, but there's people in Broadway or London or you're busy in an acting career on stage, on film, or whatever. And the Lord is saying, if you can just lay down your desire, lay down that ambition, give me your heart, everything you want, I will give you. But you're gonna lay it down. What is stopping you is not your ability. You've been auditioning, you've been doing things, and the doors just keep closing. The reason is because your heart isn't right yet. And as you just get healed from that and give that to God and just repent, doors will start to open for you. So if that's you, Come forward and we'll pray with you. Acting, specifically acting. The Lord is here today to just break from all of us. I'm also getting into people in business. Business. You run a business, you're in business, and you're struggling somewhere. There's a something's missing. Come forward. Business.